Hey everyone, welcome to episode 47. Where's Jackie? Ha! <laughs> um, a kind of weekend review wrap up. I, I know I, was, I said I would do this last night and then hedge, but I, I literally could barely speak. I was in Fetterman world last night. I just, I had kind of a wild couple of days, not as wild as some people like down in Florida have had by any means. Um, but I was just not, <laughs> I was just not with it last night. Um, like I said, it's going to be kind of like a weekend wrap up. We always like to do this on Friday nights. Obviously, the topic of the week was our, our, it seems like our national media has finally woken up to the fact that our president is not how quite, speaking of, not all there, how shall we say. Uh, this is really the first time that any questions about Biden's actual mental acuity really broke through because they couldn't ignore them in the White House press briefing. Uh, according to uh, Fox News media reporter, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, all ignored that situation, despite the fact that it dominated the White House press briefing that day. And uh, KGP had no good answer other than to keep repeating the same canned response that she was on top of mind. Uh, well, they had a bill signing today, and that was done in private. It was actually uh, legislation to rename a post office, which is a public legislation bill. And they did not hold a public event for it, citing a special sincere moment, <laughs> which we, of course, all know uh, was not the case. Um, so that was, of course, kind of the dominant thing this week. We saw this breakthrough several reports, Politica, Washington, New York Times, etc. all are now starting to kind of, I don't know, ask the questions about our president's mental health. Those of us who have been paying attention for a while now know that this shouldn't have been the incident that got people wondering why the hell is our president looking around for dead people. Um, he, of course, also during one of his speeches at FEMA, just kind of left the podium <laughs> and wandered off, uh, Frank Drebin style. Um, so you're starting to see these questions bubble up and people ask several times, why why now? And, I, and as I said uh, on Twitter, to me, it's a warning shot. This is, and this is the media saying, get your shit together, because if you get creamed in the midterms, that is it. We have done all we can do for you. Uh, we drag you across the, uh, the finish line, uh, but we cannot drag you across the midterm finish line, uh, as well as um, helping you any longer. Uh, as soon as they lose the midterms, and it looks like they will in some form or another, certainly the House, maybe the Senate both, uh, that will effectively be the end of Joe Biden's presidency. And the very next day, you will start to hear calls for him to step aside. Uh, and I don't mean 25th Amendment, although it's interesting we're not having that discussion. Uh, in fairness, Brian Stelter is no longer on television. So we all know, of course, he would be doing that uh, if, if this was Joe Biden. We know he wouldn't, of course. Uh, we also saw fallout from Hurricane Ian still. There's been an interesting response in the in the media is it looks like DeSantis has uh, pulled this off as well as can be, as sobering and as serious as can be, and it looks like they are on top of their shit down there, uh, despite a lot of the damage. And so you're starting to see now an acceptance uh, that perhaps he is not an incompetent boob that they have portrayed the previous president to be. So you, those calls that he's more dangerous and more competent are going to step up. You're going to hear more of them. Uh, Hurricane Ian has moved into South Carolina now. Uh, I just briefly saw Tim Scott on with Brett Baer. And so, um, but it looks like at least it's it's gone through Florida. It blew apart several communities, but it looks like the worst is at least behind. 
So if you're in Florida, obviously feel free to jump up in the queue and tell me what it's like for you down there. Uh, I also talked about today on the podcast, kind of the main topic of discussion was Trevor Noah's moving on from The Daily Show. Um, and I talked a few reasons why he never really caught on the way John Stork did. And not to kind of repeat things I did on the podcast, because I do want you to subscribe and listen over there, too. Um, is John Stewart was always kind of in the club with those people. Uh, he had several media contacts. He, he was best friends with Anthony Weiner. Um, I think he was like his college roommate in actuality. Um, and so John Stewart was always paid up with the right people. And also it, when he came along and peaked, especially in, during the Bush years, and we all saw him on Crossfire telling Paul Begala and Tucker Carlson to shut up, which for me at that time was awesome and relieving. And I liked seeing that. Um, Stewart was somebody that every journalist wanted to be. Every journalist wanted to be John Stewart. If you go back to the Daily Show, uh, the Bush years, and then of course when Obama came along, we could not make jokes about Barack Obama because that would be racism. And so everything kind of changed. But with John Stewart, every journalist out there wanted to be John Stewart, and of course every Daily Show pundit wanted to be a journalist. John Stewart was always free to say the stuff that journalists and mo most members of our media always wanted to say, but knew they couldn't out of their own credibility or their own employer or what have you. And so when he walked away, and I think it was 2015, uh, and he appointed Trevor Noah, first off, nobody really knew Trevor Noah. That was kind of out of left field. I always suspected, I thought it would be Samantha B would take over. Maybe, I know Stephen Colbert was doing his own show, but you know maybe Jason Jones or somebody else were over there. Wyatt Cenac was over there as well, but he had a falling out. Um, so I always thought it'd be Samantha Bee, and we all know that Samantha Bee went and did her own show. And I think what happened with Trevor Noah was similar to what happened with Samantha Bee, which was he just had falling out on progressive issues. When he started making fun of Joe Biden, that was kind of it. Uh, if you were on Twitter circa 2012, 2013, uh, sorry, I'm having my own storms here. So if you hear that, I have my windows open because it's nice. Um, you knew that there was this cottage industry of media personalities and journalists and media websites that were just embedding clips of John Stewart. So John Stewart destroys public and Medicare or whatever. Um, you saw that 50 times a day from every media outlet. John Stewart obliterates the argument, whatever it was. And you never saw that with Trevor Noah. You never saw it really with Sam B. And I, and I would argue it's because they kind of bucked uh, progressive talking points a couple of times when Trevor Noah started making fun of Joe Biden, he got the finger wag that you can't do that because that might, that might get Trump reelected, for instance. Um, I would also argue there's a racial component to that. Uh, a lot of those clips, a lot, a lot of the so and so destroys went over to John Oliver. It didn't really transfer to Trevor Noah. And so John Oliver was kind of the media darling for a while. And now it really has just kind of become Jimmy Kimmel. But what John Stewart kind of did is he ushered in this whole new era and this whole new format of all of these shows going to daily show-like formats. And I know Weekend Update of, of SNL did it. And Trevor Noah really was never able to really settle into that kind of format, more of a stand-up comedian. And, of course, when Trump was elected, all of these people just became, you know, scoldy scolds where uh, we can't laugh at the serious times that we're in right now. And so you had Colbert and Kimmel and Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers, Samantha Bee and Trevor Noah all kind of become this one big scoldy blob. And it really took someone like Greg Gutfield to come along to basically give people an alternative. And, and it's much the same way that 
ABC, CBS, NBC all split the same audience, all of these people split the same audience as well. And as I've now famously, I guess, coined the term, it, it's simply just late night group therapy for libs. And so Trevor Noah never really established his own identity, his own brand. And The Daily Show never was really, you know, kind of cutting edge after Stewart left it. And that to me is one of the reasons Noah failed. And like I said, you know, if you really wanted to push me into a corner, I would say there's probably also a racial component to this as well. Um, don't don't tell the media that because they don't they no they're not racist. Um, so those are kind of the things that happened this week. Uh, I'll be writing about Trevor Noah more for Spectator. Some thoughts on that. I also have a piece coming uh, to Examiner, maybe either this weekend or next week, uh, about Facebook again saying that they are going to clamp down on misinformation campaigns heading into the election. Well, we saw how that worked out with the Hunter Biden laptop story and spokesperson uh, Andy Stone, who was a former Barbara Boxer uh, spokes as well, was the one pushing this. So uh, bluntly said, I don't believe them anymore. Um, and so this is something we're going to have to kind of be on the lookout. Will they start censoring uh, videos of Fetterman not being able to complete a sentence, for example, or, you know, people clowning on his condition? So all of these things we're going to have to take into account. Uh, once again, heading into uh, midterms, which is about, I mean, it's October, it's the end of September, it's October 1st tomorrow. So it's about 46 days away, uh, or 38 somewhat days away. So it is go time. Um, So those are just some topics to get your gears going. Uh, I know it's a Friday night, we're not going to go for too long here, probably about an hour, 50 minutes. Um, I'll take as many of you guys that are up there. I'll try to get through everyone. I'm going to try to be kind of strict on the time limit because we don't want to be here all night. Um, I also may be back here tomorrow. So if you don't get in, uh, just jump back in the queue. Uh, We may do Brunches for Assholes Part 3 tomorrow. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Just because I know I spaced these out this week. Uh, As usual, just the ground rules. Just be mindful there's people behind you. I know the conversation can kind of just take its own natural tones so some people will go longer than others but just be mindful that there's people behind you so try to keep it short and pithy um and also if you can mute your microphone uh when you're not speaking it just makes it easier to cut out background noise and uh it helps keep me focused because i just get distracted it's just one of those personal things um i'm going to kind of mix up the order tonight because i see a couple people back here that i said i would take uh previously they weren't they didn't get a chance to get in last time uh, I'm going to start with Dan, and uh, then I'll probably bump Samuel up as well. Um, and so just be just bear with me. Again, I, I have commit prior commitments to some callers that didn't get a chance to speak last time that I said that I would uh, bump up for this session. But we should try to get through everyone. Uh, right now there's five, but feel free to jump in the queue if it's your first time. Just uh, jump up there. And like I said, if uh, you can unmute your microphone and Sam drops, so we're off to a great start already. Um, and you'll see your mute button down there, and uh, you just hit that to speak and then to unspeak. Um, I'm going to go ahead then and bump Samuel up. Um, if uh, Dan, jump, feel free to jump back in the queue if that was an accident, and I'll go ahead and take you. But Samuel, I, I know you were in the queue last time. Um, are, are you fretting the fact that it looks like Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness is DOA legally? which is another topic we didn't get into this week, but uh, six states challenged Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan to the point to where they had to go back and reassess the legality of it, which they ended up eliminating millions of people that were eligible for student loans originally. But it looks like that that action is just going to give more argument to the case should it go to court. 
and it looks like this thing's going to get thrown out. So uh, Samuel, I know, is heartbroken as he was expecting his Biden bucks, but go ahead. Samuel. No, I'm rooting for it to get shot down in court. I would take the Biden bucks, but I think it's a horrible. I don't even understand why he has. I don't think he has this power, but why does he even have the authority to like put an indefinite pause on student loans payments and stuff? Like, I don't even get how he has that authority. Well, Trump is, I mean, you have to remember, Trump did it because of the pandemic. And this is, you know, this is something that is probably going to come back and haunt the old, you know, boomer dad, should he decide to run again. But I guess I would look at it now and say hindsight. um, But we kind of know that now any power you give the Democratic Party up these things, they're going to exploit and this is why they need the pandemic, at least, to be declared an emergency forever and ever and ever and ever, because we're going to come into the elections, probably in 2024, and you're probably going to get the GOP candidates that are going to say, we're putting an end to this pandemic emergency. We're moving on. You people can wear masks, and if New York City wants to implement mask mandates, fine, have fun, go do that, whatever, or Newsom or whomever. And the media in particular and the left is going to say, oh, so you want people drowning in student debt and, oh, you want people kicked off Medicaid and, oh, you want, you know, all of this stuff that was put on pause by both the previous president and this president, they are going to want to use forever. And so it's pretty much going to either be up to the court or it's going to be up to a Republican president or Republican candidate to just bite the bullet and say, hey, this was done uh, in an emergency. We're no longer in the emergency and I'm ending the emergency. And so, yes, you're probably going to have to start repaying your student loan debt again. And the media is counting on that. We're, we're already seeing this. KGP today, this week, just said Republicans want them suffering and whatever. And again, we don't have a competent media that would ask her, look, you people brag about the state of your economy every single day. You brag about how many jobs you've created. You brag about, you know, the fact that, yes, inflation is high, but, you know, wages are up and jobs are up and factory jobs are up. So you can't really have it both ways. Either the economy is good and people can now afford their student loan payments again, or we're still in an emergency of destitute. So which is it? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make any logical sense at all. And yeah, the, the kind of the golden rule is if you give the Democrats an inch, they'll take a mile. So yeah, we should like try not to do those things in the future. But it doesn't like I don't even see why he has that authority. I think it's again, I get because Trump did it, but it just is ridiculous to me. But the main thing I wanted to talk about, though, where's Jackie was unbelievably funny um, is I was just going to ask, have you seen the uh, HBO documentary, The Escape from Kabul? I haven't seen it. I know of it. I've seen the trailer for it, but no, I, I have not actually watched it. I know that there's on the ground footage um, about just how chaotic it is. And there's not some uh, rosy accounts, shall we say, about people trying to get out of Afghanistan in the 11 days. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of plug it. I watched it the other night. I think everybody should watch it. Um, it you're not going to feel good watching it. It's not going to make you happy, but it's just... I mean, in some of like the video and footage is so much worse than things that we've even that we even saw, like during the actual withdrawal, like they have one image of the plane taking off and you can see them, uh, the Afghanis falling off the plane as it takes off. And you it's like much easier to see than the footage that was going around on Twitter, which again, it's horrible, but it's just like, I feel like everybody should watch it just to kind of see 
I mean, they even interview Taliban people and they're talking about how they defeated America. And um, you hear all this shit about, you know, how they're going to treat people better. And then you see the reality on the ground. And it's just, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but I think it's also like something everybody needs to watch just to like kind of get that twitch behind your eye before the midterms and just kind of remember why Biden's presidency fell apart in the first place, because he was like above 50 percent in approvals before Afghanistan. And then you just see the situation on the ground and how quickly it deteriorates. And I mean, how many people again, I'm not blaming the military, I'm blaming the actual like the higher ups, the, the you know, top brass in the military and the quote unquote plan that I mean, how many people did we get killed? because we couldn't put an adequate evacuation plan together. I mean, again, it's just, it's horrible to watch, but I think people should watch it. So that was, that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. It's just, I think it's really well done and it's not partisan. They started off with a Trump clip of him talking about the agreement with the Taliban. And then they pivot to a Biden clip of talking about the evacuation and then they end it with a Biden clip about it being a great success. But other than that, there's really no politics involved. So it's not like, you know, they're, even though I do think Biden's obviously to blame, they're not like making it all about that. So I still think it's fairly good overall to watch. I th- as, as someone who frames things through how, you, how they appear in media, um, you really have to just, you have to consider how that, whole thing would have been portrayed had it been the previous president. Um, And it's not just the evacuation of the people falling off wheel wells via Air Biden. Um, It was the the terrorist bombing of the killing 13 service members. They they effectively, the Biden administration and his military advisors effectively created a bottleneck at that airport where they let one airbase go. The Taliban just took it over. And they didn't have jets or nukes, by the way, uh, when they did this. Um, they they effectively took over the entire country that we were helping to prop up in, for 13 years, and they took it back over in 11 days. Um, but they let one of the airfields go, and they said, we're just going to focus on the airport, and that's how we're going to get people out. When you could have left a ground force there to secure those airfields to get as many people out as possible— uh, you could have had standoffs, but odds are the Taliban's probably not going to engage U.S. troops uh, because they hadn't for over a year. We went for, what, over a year and a half, two years without a single U.S. casualty in combat. And you have to view then the, the fact they created a bottleneck at this airport where a suicide bomber could just walk into the crowd, uh, killing 13 U.S. service members just right off the bat, um, injuring more. And in retaliation and response for this, uh, the Biden administration uh, thought they found a vehicle that was on its way to the airport. And it turns out they drone striked and killed eight children, uh, an innocent, two innocent men and eight kids. As a response to that, you have to consider this entire chain of events and how you think that would have been covered. And on top of that, you have to remember that they hid Joe Biden away. He didn't answer a single question about that drone strike. He didn't answer a single question about um, the 13 dead service members and and why they decided to do that. Uh, That was the famous image of Biden kind of collapsing over his binder 
um, and I would argue was probably the lowest point of his presidency and very deservedly so. And the image that we got of him was taking no questions for up to six weeks and turning his back and walking away. And when Samuel says, you know, that that's when his presidency started to fall apart, he's 100 percent right. That was the, the to me, that was effectively the end of Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, Joe Biden was elected on, on the premise that he is unlike Trump, that he is empathetic and he's competent. And that Afghanistan disaster showed that he was neither of those things. He was not competent and he was not empathetic because he would not answer a single question because Biden effectively is not the person in charge. He was told by people, whether it was Jen Psaki or Ron Klain or the new ambassador to vegetables that we have or Jill Biden, you don't answer questions because we know when you answer questions, bad things fucking happen. And so he was told to just walk out give your statement and walk away. And we didn't see him for three and a half weeks. He didn't, he didn't give daily updates. He didn't give daily statements. It was uh, Afghanistan fell in 11 days to the people that we tried to liberate it from. And there are a lot of people who don't like occupation in this country and we don't, they don't like war, but I would argue there's more people who don't like being humiliated. And we certainly don't like seeing our military humiliated after the amount of blood and treasure and things that we gave up to go in there to basically uh, liberate a country from people that were able to harbor terrorists to plan uh, the mass killing of United States citizens on home soil. There is, there's kind of this revisionism that has happened that Afghanistan was a mistake. We should have never gone in and uh, we were there for 13 years or whatever. And uh, I guess I would argue, what would, what would your answer have been? at that time, because we knew and they knew that bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and these guys had planned 9-11, that they were hiding out in Afghanistan. Were we supposed to just ask nicely to go in and go get them? Um, and if you recall, Bush and whatever, they spoke to the Taliban and they said, we're coming in two weeks. I'm giving you notice. We're coming in there in two weeks and we're coming to get Osama bin Laden. And the Taliban said, uh, well, he's not here. And Bush basically said, yeah, he is. We know he is. And here, here, right here, here's some, here's some satellite data right there. And then they said, okay, uh, well, you don't need to come get him. We'll turn him over to a third party like Saudi Arabia. And, and they said, no, you're going to give him to us We're or we're coming to get him. And they said, well, oh, we're not going to give him to you and whatever. And they said, okay, then we're fucking coming. And that's how basically that unfolded. You can have the argument all you want. Should we have stayed? How long should we have stayed? And that's fine. I'm up for that debate. Should it have been 13 years, 14 years, 15 years, 23 years, however many years? I necessarily don't think so. But we saw roughly the fact that that country fell in 11 days after we left it. And so there's a lot of lessons there to be learned. There's a lot of lessons about nation building that I think people have learned from. I'm certainly not so much of a gung-ho neocon as I probably was back then over these things. But there, this really was a, an own goal by Biden. He didn't have, I think every single one of his military advisors was like, you don't need to fucking do this right now. Like, what are you doing? And he just said, I'm going to go do this. This is going to be great. Wee! And he did it and he's going to have to live with it. And like I said, I don't think people have forgotten. And he, and like Samuel said, polling wise, he was at 55, 56, 57 uh, last July, June, July. And when Afghanistan, that with that withdrawal happened, you could not hide it from people. The media could not hide this. They could not say this this was going well. So to the point to where the only thing the administration could say was historic airlifts. 
uh, why were we historically airlifting people? First of all, let's look at that. And so um, th- there just was no way. And even his, even his, our most ardent defenders like the Atlantic, the only thing that could fall back on was, well, this is your fault. <laughs> and it just didn't make, and it made those people look completely clueless. Um, so that to me, at least Afghanistan was the, the full Joe Biden on display. The Joe Biden who said that we need to split Iraq into three countries. And, you know, the Joe Biden where Robert Gates says this dude hasn't been on the correct side of any foreign policy disagreement in the last 25 years. Um, You know, the Joe Biden that said who told Obama not to go get bin Laden, Um, the Joe Biden, you know, who does all of these things. And to me, that's what that showed. It was not the empathetic old man, the wise old sage, the calm collect dude. It was, this was, this was Joe Biden that we've been talking about for 40 years in Washington, DC. The guy who, if he can put his foot in his mouth and make the wrong decision every time, he's going to do that. And so, yeah, I haven't seen this documentary, uh, but I, I can tell you that if you paid attention, Afghanistan was when his presidency came apart. That's when people were like, and I think voters are extremely impatient these days, um, where because of Trump, they said, okay, we want to get rid of the loud guy. We're getting rid of this fucking guy. We're going to go with the quiet gaff machine, dude. But man, you better show us. And then he, he goes and does Afghanistan. And I think voters just said, yep, we're done with you now, too. And so you're going to see this more and more where presidents have a shorter and shorter leash with the voting public. And I think a lot of that has to do with Trump and Trumpism. And uh, But Biden, again, he ran on being competent and empathetic. And Afghanistan really did show he, he had neither of those things. Uh, Samuel, I'll give you the last word. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is just continuing to look at polls and stuff. I mean, I still think everything's trending pretty good. Um, you can also follow Rob Pyers, who does a lot of like the campaign, how much money campaigns have, how much they're spending. And you can see that I think that's kind of a direct correlation with the fact that like right now, Oz is outspending Fetterman and most of the races, Republicans are now outspending the Democrats with like the exception of Arizona and probably, you know, like Washington, Colorado, but the only last thing I'll just leave it with is I'm still a little bit perplexed where we're seeing masters down 10 in Arizona or seven, eight, but somehow the Washington race is within four and the Colorado race is within four. So there's still some discrepancies where I just don't see it turning out that way. But overall, I think everybody should be pretty happy with where things are heading. So have a good weekend have seen a few media pieces recently now saying everything's tilting back toward the GOP, uh, which a few people have predicted. I think Patrick Ruffini was one. Uh, Patrick Ruffini is one you guys should follow on Twitter from Echelon Insights. Um, he's very good at breaking down voter data. Um, and so they show Oz is tightening with Fetterman, and it's right on track to be like a toss-up race. Like with this many days out, he's now like within four or five. And so it's going to be the Fetterman thing's going to be interesting to watch to see if he debates and what's going on. This is a guy who apparently thought his Eagles were playing the Eagles a week ago. And I don't know if independent voters can in their conscience in, in Pennsylvania and who knows, uh, walk into that voting booth if they're a toss up and go, yeah, I'm going to vote for the stroke victim who can barely speak or vote. So we'll see. 
Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it really is started tomorrow's October 1st. It's, it's go time. So it's going to get uh, hairy and it's going to get totally interesting. Uh, I'm going to bump Pierce up cause I saw Pierce was back there. Or actually, no, I thought Pierce spoke last or maybe he didn't. Yeah, uh, he did. Pierce was the last caller last time. We'll go with Zach. I might be wrong about that. Cause I've just had a fucking week. Uh, but, uh, Zach, give me your thoughts on uh, the week. Joe Biden talking to dead people and um, down there. You were kind of, if, if I recall, were you you were you you might have gotten some hurricane residual down where you are. Is that right? Um, no, actually, <laughs> I I was in Houston uh, a couple weeks ago, but I spent the last week in Michigan. Uh, I was up there visiting a friend that had surgery and was helping out, but uh, I was very close, like the bridge to go into Canada was like 10 minutes away from where I was staying. And I was like, you know, I should call like six or seven friends and just go take over that terrorist state while I'm here. But I, uh, I didn't know I I missed the hurricane, um, fortunately, but um, Trevor Noah, I I never got it. Like, even when I watched his stand-up, I I just didn't think he was that funny. He, I mean, the thing the thing that was interesting about the Daily Show is you go back to Craig Kilborn and even John Stewart. These are guys that had a knack for television, and they had a knack for the format. And, and Trevor Noah was he was a stand-up comedian. I know John Stewart did stand-up comedy and stuff like that, but. Um, the format to me just never fit him. And by the time Noah, I mean, I hadn't, when I heard that he was leaving and they said, he said he's ending his seven year run. I literally could not fucking believe that's how long he's been on the daily show. Um, so the problem is, is he just never really fit the format. Also, Stuart's a capable interviewer. And this is this is another problem with someone like Trevor Noah. As Trevor Noah, I don't think was classically media trained. He was, again, he's a stand-up comedian. Which is fine. I mean, you want a you want a comedian or someone who thinks they're a comedian at least in that role. But Stewart was always also a capable interviewer. Whether he was interviewing an author or a politician or an actor, and I'm not saying you agree with you know his stances, but he was at least up to speed on the topics he was interviewing people on. He was very in tune with media and politics. And Trevor Noah just tried to imitate that. And the problem with that is you can see when somebody's imitating that. And Noah always felt like he just, you know, if he had an author on, he, he didn't really do the, the assignment. Um, and so that was another, the other problem is, is because Jon Stewart just turned every single show into the Daily Show. Like Samantha B show is the Daily Show. John Oliver's the Daily Show. Seth Meyers is the Daily Show. Uh, even Kimmel and Colbert kind of did segments like that. And then Jimmy Fallon did stuff like that. And so the industry just basically all became the Daily Show right when Trevor Noah came in. And instead of kind of saying, hey, everybody's doing what we're doing now, we should do something different and try to push this forward. They just he basically just said, I'm going to just keep doing this. And it ultimately just didn't catch on. And like I said, uh, once, you know, tweets of his were dug up and people found them about women and uh, even even tweets that he had about Jews, which were not just like anti-Semitic. They were serious, like fucking things about, you know, Jewish people. And of course, his stand-up surfaced where he basically endorsed genocide. And so all of this stuff came together. 
And it was sort of like Samantha B, where the media said, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to get you kicked off TV. We're just going to ignore you now. We're going to just turn our backs over here and you're on your own. And to me, ultimately, that's what happened. So the, as, as someone who, you know, watches media, I'm invested and in, I'm invested in what they're trying to show you and tell you and try to show you these things. I said today on the podcast, I have no idea how they're going to replace Trevor Noah, who they replace him with. Like, I think if they were smart, they would just end the Daily Show and then maybe find someone and give that person their own concept. Um, yeah, I, but I don't think they're that smart because the Daily Show, you know, was so successful and and kind of became this like iconic show among members of the media that, that they're going to find somebody else to to plug in there and it's just going to be the the same you know tireless um crap just running around the hamster wheel with the same stuff over and over again that we've all heard and seen you know now who knows how many times but that's the the reason um you know, that's the reason that all the late night shows have ratings on par with the with the local access shows that people used to call in and, and prank the host with. Yeah, I mean, you can you can find comedy disagreeable. I think a lot of people on the right do. I mean, we, we listen to comedians that make fun of us or make fun of guns or make fun of whatever, make fun of religion. And we kind of tolerate it as long as it's good, as long as it's funny. I don't, I don't really care. Um, you know, I referenced Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries is someone I've seen three times live, once in the front row at Carnegie Hall, and his half of his show was about gun control. He was he was making a joke about Oscar Pistorius, the the, uh, the runner uh, without his legs who shot his girlfriend, and he's he's imitating him on stage with having his gun in a safe kind of thing. And so you can be funny with these issues, and, and I think conservatives are well well more well natured with the stuff than people on the left are because they're they're not used to being made fun of and the right doesn't do a very good job of making fun of those usually comedians that do that are down the middle someone like bill burr or louis ck for instance are are good examples even someone like whitney cummings is, is another good example of someone who can kind of poke fun at progressives um and get away with it but that's ultimately the problem is you couldn't they they couldn't make fun of Obama because you can't make fun of the first black president. And then when Trump happened, it was like, these times are so serious. We can't make jokes about this stuff. This is, this is no time to laugh or make jokes. And then of course, Biden comes in and they can't make jokes about Biden. And so ultimately that's all this kind of comes down to. And now you have this whole microaggression theme thing where, you know, Jimmy Kimmel can't even lay motionless on a stage without having to apologize over and over and over again. Um, and to me, that's I don't watch Jimmy Kimmel, for instance, but I laugh at the fact that he he has to fucking apologize to stay in the good graces of his audience now, um, especially considering where he especially came from. And so, again, I, I don't know what The Daily Show does. You're going to just bring someone in to do fake news headline reading again, um, who's just going to kind of become a scold and, and just that's ultimately why these people are failing is they're just not making jokes anymore. Uh, I mean, Stephen Colbert just comes on and monologues politics and Jimmy Kimmel comes on monologues politics and Seth Meyers monologues politics and people just tune that stuff out. And I talked about a bit about Greg Gutfeld today 
and as someone who's written for his show and occasionally still do, I can say that that's not his primary goal. His primary goal is he's obviously, you know, a libertarian conservative guy on a Fox News network. Um, but similar to Red Eye, his goal was not to just push politics on people. His goal is to kind of find absurdity in media and absurdity in some stories. And that's always what I noticed uh, as I was a contributing writer for him is that it was never about pushing pro-life stuff. It was never about pushing Second Amendment. It was uh, or never about like pushing free speech. It was about finding absurd stories on the political left that were trying to censor those things. And how can we make fun of you for doing that? Um, and that's really, and that, and again, Gutfeld vies for, he has no competition for 50% of the country. And then Fallon, Kimmel, The Daily Show, John Oliver, those people, you have eight hosts on late night vying for 40% of the competition. And that's simply how Gutfeld wins. And like I said, I've said this before, if you want to chip into Fox News, if you really, if you're CNN or if you're an MSNBC and you really want to chip away at Fox News, you go and you give like Ben Shapiro an hour long talk show. Um, wouldn't be my personal choice, but you give Candace Owens a primetime show on MSNBC. And you know what? Your liberal audience would lose their fucking minds for about three weeks. We're not going to watch you. Yes, you are. You're still going to do it and watch Chris Hayes. What are you talking about? Uh, of course, you're going to do that, you fucking losers. Um, and like I said, I mean, if you're if you're Comedy Central and you're looking to reboot The Daily Show, I'm not saying you give it to like a conservative, but maybe you, do, you don't go and check off all the non-binary boxes that they're inevitably going to do. And so that's, I mean, if I'm a TV executive, I'm not really thinking about politics or ideology. I'm thinking about how I can either have Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter and, and K-File and Jake Tapper sit around and bitch about Tucker Carlson nonstop, or I can go try to actually eat into his audience, not by hiring another liberal host, not by hiring a Chris Cuomo or a Don Lamont, but, you know, maybe you throw $50 million at Buck Sexton and see if he accepts, you know, or something like that. And that's how you eat into Fox's, Fox's ratings, is you give them an alternative. Um, I, I mean, I know Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity turn a lot of people off. So if you're another network, I'm kind of like, who, who can I go get that's sort of on the political right that will give us, you know, a, uh, a different point of view that will still get, you know, maybe conservatives or independents or just people who aren't even political to kind of tune in. But we know that that's not the media landscape anymore. So, yeah, The Daily Show is going to go find, you know, uh, a trans, black, non-binary, handicapped person to be the next host. And if that person's funny, great. And if that person's clever, great. But we're seeing more and more that woke comedy just doesn't work because you can't make jokes while being perpetually offended. It doesn't work. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I agree with you in that, you know, if you really wanted to compete with Fox, you would hire somebody that... You know, somebody that watches Tucker might tune in and listen to occasionally. But, um, you know, at this point, I think the people that are, are in those networks and even seeing it now with Zucker gone, but the people that are still there, um, you couldn't you couldn't put I mean, you put anyone in there that was, um, you know, to the to the left of Stalin. And 
they would be screeching from all the, the usual suspects and all the people that target advertisers that that you're platforming Nazis. Why are you giving these Nazis Well, I mean, Jake, Jake, Tapp, Jake Tapper platformed a Nazi, and they didn't seem to have a problem with that. Well, that's uh, I mean, because you he could, was he you, you could, he didn't like Trump. At but the you time. could you could take someone like so Mary Catherine Ham for example is a CNN contributor and most people forget about that. You could put her in prime time and give her an hour long show, and there's someone who's generally typically unoffensive, very bright, very smart, very educated, very up to the now in current issues. And I guess if people screamed about her having a show, I would laugh. I would just let them scream. I'm like, okay, you know. This is the most inoffensive person we could find, and yet you're still losing your shit. And you would just let it blow over. We saw this. Uh, we saw this controversy with this film, uh, Jihad Rehab, which was a documentary where a documentarian followed people, uh, three, four guys who were released from Guantanamo Bay. And this film got praised at Sundance, and then when uh, Muslim critics caught wind of it, and progressive critics. They demanded the film be ejected and censored, and it was. Disney Plus canceled it. They were going to have it on Disney, and they canceled it. And um, it, it apparently landed at the New Zealand Film Festival. And they were asked, they, they were again were protesting it, and the guy at the New Zealand Film Festival said, well, we're going to play the film, and I don't care. And he said, we're here to defend art no matter what that is, and you guys can basically go get fucking lost. And we've seen more of that over the past few months and whatever but i mean again if you're running a network i just tell them fine don't watch us I, okay you're not the audience tune in and dare them and i mean yeah people say well you're a corporation and whatever but they're gonna fucking watch they're still gonna if you put somebody like i said if you put like a ben shapiro on msnbc um after chris hayes or before chris hayes they're still gonna tune in and watch chris hayes so uh, again they they're so polarized and you bring up a point, but they're so polarized by who they think their audience is that Chris Licht reinventing CNN isn't going to work unless he makes more drastic steps and drastic meaning gets rid of Jim Acosta, gets rid of Jake Tapper, gets rid of Brianna Keelar, gets rid of Don Lamont. And I'm not suggesting he don't, he don't any of those things, but that's ultimately what it would take for any kind of rebranding. Uh, so Zach, I'll give you the last word and, uh, I'm going to go ahead and try to get through this queue here. Oh, okay. Um, real quick, someone in the uh, chat asked about the cancer prognosis, which is what I was in Houston for. Sure. Um, everything still, everything still appears stable. Um, looking at the spots going back to my first scan at MD Anderson, which was first part of 2020. Um, Overall, there's been about a 3% decrease in the size of cancer, but the very smallest spot, uh, they've seen an increase of about 14%, but that 14% translates to about a millimeter. So it's not, not nothing major. So just gonna stay on the, um, on the current course and if that changes in a couple of months and it changes but for now everything is same old same old which is good news so stable so it's not getting worse and it's i mean it's not really improving but it's not getting worse so right and and typically with this like once you have it it just it gets worse and worse and kills you quickly and since it's not in my case that's a very good thing um 
And no, I, I agree with you. Um, although I really, really, really don't want CNN to get rid of uh, Don Lamont because him getting absolutely <laughs> eviscerated by guests week in and week out is it's, great it's, entertainment. Yeah, someone said, I think it was Beckett Adams from The Examiner who said that I'm really enjoying Don Lamont's new show where he says something stupid and his guest calls him out on it in a polite way as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw it obviously with uh, reparations from the Queen. And then, of course, we saw it which uh, from the director of the NOAA. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm not saying get rid of these people. I'm saying what you would do if you're trying to, you know, get your network back on par with a credible news organization. Um, so, no, I, I'm not advocating for any of these people to lose their jobs. I'm fine with Brian Stelter losing his job because he's one of the worst people uh, in media and on television. Uh, but Don Lamont is just he's, he's a walking teachable moment. And it really is just so fucking hilarious um, where again, he, he'll have a guest on and he just, he thinks that he has them and whatever, and he'll have an expert on it, an expert in rep reparations that worked for the, for the palace. And then of course he also, you know, has on the national hurricane director. He's like, well, we can talk about climate change, but right now I'm going to talk about this particular uh, hurricane. And he's like, uh, excuse me, but I know you, she said, but you just need to link this to climate change. He's like, well, I'm not really going to do that. Um, and so, yeah, he, he is, uh, him and Chris Cuomo used to have a thing and Don Lamont just feels kind of lost now that Cuomo, that now that Fredo is, is off the air. So, uh, Zach, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to move on. Uh, I'm going to move on to Jacqueline and Donna, but, uh, glad, glad things are at least stable. Glad to hear from you. And as always, I'm glad you're not dead. Oh, what did I just do here? Did I just, all right. Well, Jacqueline, I think I just bumped you ahead of Scott. Scott, I'm sorry. I'll take you next, unless I'm completely off my head right now and I and I have the order wrong. But Jacqueline, uh, how did you get through the hurricane? Do you still have all your uh, your stuff together? And what was that like down there? I might break up a little bit because I still don't have Wi-Fi, but I do have power. Never lost it. And um, part of our fence broke down. But it was just a small part, so it's not too bad. And nothing else happened. It was actually, you know, a typical hurricane I've experienced most of my life living down here. Because I've lived here for 30 years. My family moved here just before Andrew. But that was, you know, it hit Homestead, Florida. So it was not anywhere near us where I live, like, just outside Tampa. But, um, yeah, it actually wasn't that bad. Um, just the stores, everyone raided the stores, you know, it oh, was good. like COVID. It was like, it was like right. COVID. It was like COVID. Oh, you, like, you mean like people like... went on, like, so you mean people like went on runs? You didn't mean like, like Philadelphia people. Oh, no, no, not loot. Oh, not okay. loot. No, 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 not loot. Not loot. I was going to say, generally, <laughs> so, DeSantis would have had them shot on sight if they tried that. <laughs> no, nope, no. There's, I didn't see any reports of looting. Um, but I, um, 
No, a lot of stores. Like, I saw people that went to the stores are open right before it was supposed to hit. And they took pictures of all the shelves. And they were full before. Because actually, we do have food here. Because Journalismo actually knows how to direct traffic and put food in stores. So we're not one of those places that doesn't typically have a whole lot of food on the shelves. But when a hurricane comes and we have so many people from the north that have moved down here and this is their first hurricane. So they think that, you know, everything is a disaster. And yes, it is for a lot of people. And it was for a lot of people in different parts of Florida, but not where... After I looked at the trek where we lived, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. So I wasn't going to hoard stuff because everyone needs a little bit of water. Everyone needs a little bit of this and that. So, and I was even offering friends because I never lost power. We bought a couple styrofoam coolers and bags of ice from the gas station. And we never lost power. So I was offering to give it away. We did give one away to a friend and we would give like we have another bag of ice in the freezer and a cooler we're like hey if you lost power here you go just take it like so you said you didn't you didn't lose power right no never lost power but did lose internet and tv like stuff like that which it's annoying but it's the important not the you the lost the, you did lose the important stuff so, <laughs> but yeah, it's like I know plenty of God people. God forgive you have to power. pick up a book, Jacqueline. <laughs> well, I have a limited data on my cell phone plan, so I can just watch TV on my phone. So it's not too bad because I still have power. And my mom lost power, just got it back about three hours ago. A lot of my friends just started getting power back around the same time, but it do, it does sound there's like there's a lot of tree bridges. I mean, there's a it do, no sorry. It does sound like for the most. I mean, I saw aerial footage of just some places that are just completely leveled, uh, but it sounds like for the most part, Generalissimo DeSantis was on top of things on this. Was that something you would agree with? Does it feel like things got back and running efficiently down there, or or what? Yeah, like he had 40,000 line workers for the electricity to start getting it back up. Because I know in 2004, I think that was good old Chris Christie. Or not Chris Christie, uh, Charlie Christ. Sorry, I get the Chris and all this stuff messed up. But um, yeah, Charlie Christ was governor... And we didn't have power for a week in Orlando. I was in college at UCF in Orlando, and my place didn't have power for a week. People here have been out of power for at Tufts for three days, and like they're, like I said, they're all getting it back today. And um. But yeah, when you when you talk about the absolute devastating destruction that happened in Fort Myers, Sanibel, Captiva, 
that's gonna take years to rebuild. Like, that's no joke. That's gonna be really bad. And when they figure out the death tolls down there, it's gonna be bad. Hopefully they evacuated. A lot of people didn't have a lot of time because the track shifted so quickly. And obviously when the track shifts that quickly, you don't have a lot of time. Traffic gets backed up so people get stuck in cars. And hopefully you didn't have a electric vehicle and get the, like, everything stopped while they were on the highway. But, um, yeah, but that area of Florida is really bad and it's going to take a long time to rebuild and there's going to be a lot of deaths. I'll get, uh blamed on DeSantis. So, uh, I'll give you a last, I'll give you a last word, final thought or, or anything specific that happened this week. I know, I know you've been preoccupied. Well, I just saw that you titled your, where's Jackie? So I just wanted you to know I'm still here. <laughs> the other one isn't, but I am. So... Stand up, um, Jackie. God bless you. I no, guess it's... if uh, Joe Biden wants to say he was talking about Jackie, he was talking <laughs> about me. <laughs> you made me laugh. You got me. It's pretty good. It's like, oh, Jacqueline's here. Okay, we can cancel the room now. Everyone go home. She's alive. Um, yeah, no, I thought, I think it was... Again, I'm so fascinated by the fact that this is this was the incident where the, the majority of the press... Who's he talking to? Like, this is a dude who's, like, been walking, wandering around stages and shaking hands with imaginary people and getting corralled by the Easter Bunny. Uh, but th- this was the moment where, you know, the the mainstream media just went, oh, he might not all be there, you know? He's, he's like, you know, asking nine-year-olds how old they are, but this was definitely the moment that we can't tolerate. So, but no, you, you got me there. You got me laughing there, Jackie. So I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to Scott, but Jacqueline, glad you're safe. Glad it, uh, you didn't get uh, completely obliterated down there. Um, so uh, it's good to hear. Uh, Scott, I might've jumped you. I don't know if I did it. We'll try to go David, Donna and Pierce and, and wrap up so everyone can get about their weekend and their Friday nights. So Scott, sorry if I jumped you on that. I, I don't know if I did or not, but anyway, go ahead. Hey, Steven. Uh, it's, it's all good. I, was doing some other stuff and didn't really notice. So, uh, can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, I'm also calling from Florida, as was Jacqueline. Uh, I'm in central Florida, and uh, we fared pretty well. Um, never, I never really lost power. Um, kind of flickered a little bit Thursday morning, but other than that, it was just a lot of rain and a lot of wind. That's so. That's good. So I have people from Florida who didn't really have much of a problem with the hurricane at all. You're you're dramatic as people were hoping for. I'm just telling you that. Um, so I'm just, I'm just warning you. You know, people might be let down at the fact that you're all okay and you only had a flicker uh, down there. So, well, yes, I, I'm sorry we've disappointed so many people. 
uh, that we're just itching for this. We basically wanted your Tesla to be underwater so we could make the point about electrical vehicle charging isn't going to hold up in circumstances like this. But that's all right. We'll make that point later. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the funny part about that is uh, you remember the uh, Disney conversation that we were all forced to have in the national media yes. for weeks. There, one of the many reasons Disney is down here is in specifically in central Florida is because it's the place least likely to get hit by a hurricane in the state. So it's just not going to, they're just not going to have these widespread devastation and destruction, at least in the center. So the reason, so we're Disney, they're in Orlando. So the reason they implanted in Orlando is so it's the least most, it's the least possible spot for anywhere for, for the Disney theme park to get hit with a hurricane. Is that right? Yep. Just, uh, you know, you know, huh. Factoring in things like it's a nice temperate climate, so you can be open all year round. Of those, in that the best place for that here is Central Florida. Huh, I didn't know that. Um, and then, of course, when they put a giant glass dome over everything to keep out DeSantis's army um, and and hurricanes, that'll that'll shelter everybody in their own little community as well. Exactly. Although I think that dream kind of died with Disney. Um, when he was uh, planning his, uh, what that what was that city called that he was going to build? I have no idea. You're you you are completely speaking to the wrong source on Disney history. Um. <laughs> All right, but uh, so I I wanted to really quick mention since it's you know since it's pumpkin spice season and the electoral college is illegitimate season. <laughs> Um, there it's this curious thing of the law of unintended consequences that people think that because the popular vote has been won by Democrats for what did they say seven out of the last eight elections or something? Yeah, that's what the New York Times when they were talking about their their brave piece about all the threats to democracy we face, and the most important is apparently the Constitution and the Electoral College itself. And they called, they said, David Leonhardt actually wrote that the Democrats are an impressive winning streak, winning seven of the eight past popular votes. Yeah, I, I've always found that a strange talking point because what's never discussed along at the same time is the millions of voters who simply don't vote because they're in states that are so heavily red or blue and how that would affect the nationwide popular vote. Well, one of the problem the problem with the popular vote argument, right, is they always cite states like Wyoming, for instance, right, or Montana, which are red state, big red states that are just huge open land, and you know, Mon you know, Wyoming has what like thirty thousand people who live in the state. I don't know. I'm kidding. And they still are allowed the same amount of senators as California or New York. But they never mention they never mention the proportional as it as it goes to like say Vermont, which is a historically blue state has two senators, uh, or they never reference Texas or Florida, which are both solid red states, um, and you can even argue now Ohio is a solid red state, and so the argument is constantly uh, that you count every single vote. And the Electoral College should not exist, and we just count majority winner 
And that's it. And, and you're right when you talk about the majority of people who didn't vote. Look, I lived, I lived in Brooklyn, New York for 10 years, okay? I don't think I voted a single time uh, once. I did, I did attempt to vote in 2012 for Mitt Romney, and they lost my ballot, interestingly enough. Um, I called previously for my location, and I said, hey, I want to make sure I'm on the voter roll over there. And then they said, yes, you are. He said, what party? And I was like, well, I'm registered Republican. And they said, okay, yes, you are. And then I showed up to vote two days later and they didn't have me on the rolls. So I had to, I had to do a provisional ballot. I had to fill it out manually. And I basically just went, well, this is corrupt as fuck. <laughs> and uh, I never really voted locally in living in New York City for the exact same reason you said, like, I'm like, yeah, I think my rep was Maloney at the time. And I'm just like, they're not, she's, she's going to win this. I'm not going to go out of my way to go do this. And people will say, well, you're a hypocrite if you do this. I'm like, no, I just, my votes, again, I've always said my votes to do mine, what, what I want with. And if I don't think it's going to be useful, then yeah, I'm going to probably not stand in line for four hours to go try to do this. And so you are right about the, the amount of people who don't show up. Um, but they're all predicated on the fact that this, the people who make this argument live in New York City. The people who make this argument live in Los Angeles. The people who make this argument are, you know, what, where 30% of the population exists on the coastlines of, of you know, the East Coast, the Upper East Coast, and then California. And I think they're counting on a few things. One, I think they're counting on uh, staying these colors forever. And we've seen both New York isn't always a solid blue state. I would argue it is now going forward, but it had a Republican governor just a few years ago. New York City had a Republican mayor, California, Ronald Reagan. Uh, you could argue voted for a Republican and Arnold Schwarzenegger, although we know that kind of changed. And so you're also seeing a lot of these local reps, house reps uh, in like LA District County. We have, uh, I believe, I for, ugh, fuck, I forget her name, but she's, she was the first Korean American female elected to Congress as a house rep, and she came from L.A. County. And so they're, they're counting on, one, that these states are always going to vote the same no matter what. And we know that the second if you implement a federal election, a federal popular vote election, that a Republican wins, they're, they're going to find some way to bitch and complain and say why it was invalid and we have to get rid of this system now. And so... I've always said this idea behind the popular vote is just simply their way of not accepting election results. And that's the way it, it should be portrayed every time by every single pundit on the right or the political right or even independent. You simply say you're not accepting our election results. And that's how you end up with someone like Donald Trump, who's, who's sitting here saying uh, this was an invalid election. There was all these shenanigans and all of these swing states, whatever. And again, to argue a popular vote is them arguing not accepting election results. And so, again, the funny thing that, and the point is uh, that I can make, as Jay Caruso said, is when they do this, they're always using examples like Wyoming and Montana versus California and New York City or New York State, but they're leaving out places like Vermont, these little states, or Rhode Island, for example, or these states that vote blue, traditionally vote blue, um, that are again, would be rendered useless. And again, if you're going to abolish the Electoral College, I'm kind of like, I take the Charles Cook stance with guns and I'm like, get off fucking Twitter and do it. All you got to do is do it. 
so you want to abolish the electoral college. Okay, just just go do it then. Well, you're going to have to ratify the Constitution, which means you're going to need two-third majority state votes. Good luck getting two-thirds of the states in this country to basically vote away their existence. And so they know they can't do that. So what are they pushing for? Instead, they're pushing for Puerto Rico statehood and Washington D statehood. So they know that gives them four extra senatorial votes. And so it's it's also contradictory that they do that while trying to abolish the electoral college. You'll you'll get no argument from me there. Uh, the other thing I wanted to to, to to bring up was it seems like the. Uh, their angle for their attack on DeSantis has already started. Uh, there's a New York Times article. Uh, I can't read it because I don't have a subscription, but it's titled DeSantis, once a no on StormAid, petitions a president he's bashed. Like he is some, like, some peasant uh, petitioning a feudal lord for a little bit more money or something. So I, I find the title rather amusing, but it seems like that's the angle they want to take, which is he voted against this uh, federal storm aid, and now he wants some. Yeah, they're using that, but you also have to go and look at the legislation that they, they put in a ton of pork, they put in a ton of extra, and they've done, and this is what they do. So, you know, for federal hurricane legislation or federal disaster relief, they'll go in and they'll throw in a provision, they'll throw in something that's a pet cause. And then they'll vote against it. And then they'll say, well, see, you voted against the storm relief. And they know that they have a media on their side that will do that. Uh, that's not going to stick. It's just not. It's not one of those things people care about. All people care about is, you know, making sure lives are saved, lives are taken care of down there, whatever. It'll give them a three-day talking point. But no, it's not something that is going to stick a year or two or three years from now should he decide to run. So I guess I look at that. I shrug, and I think he does the same, and I think his people do the same. You just shrug, and you go, okay, have fun with that one. Um, but the reason why they're having to fall back on that is because from all appearances, it looks like he's taken this seriously. He's managed it well. He's holding daily, if not multiple press conferences daily. And uh, as we date from HuffPost go, we'll see. He's not talking about woke shit like transgender students or immigrants. He's just doing hurricane stuff. It's like, yeah, because it's a fucking hurricane. Okay, we see what you're doing. And that's the most thing with him is his people swing. And we see what they're trying to do. And it's just it's not going to work. He's very good at staying on topic and staying focused on what the job in front of him is. So yeah, they're, they're going to use that while he was in Congress. You voted against storm relief. Well, no, we voted against these provisions you tried to attach to the storm relief. Um, and I think people are smart enough to get that. He's not going to lose a single supporter over that argument. So again, that's an argument that plays good on Twitter. It, it, it'll get a few thousand retweets and everyone will be like, great. And the fucking Grim Reaper asshole, um, who's the only Floridian that I hope maybe actually drowned in the hurricane. There's a couple down there, um, but him in particular, they're going to, they're going to pull that shit for retweets and it'll get retweets and they'll, you know, they'll end up on joy Reid's show where no one will see it and it will be gone in a week or two. So it doesn't really matter. So Scott, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a rather, uh, a silly attempt to dunk, which basically plays to their plays to an audience, but I got, I have nothing else. So I just check it in, say, hey, we're Central Florida is pretty safe. I know some friends of mine are still without power, but 
A lot of work is being done already, seeing trucks and cleanup crews out. Yeah, I saw the photo. This was this was a great one going around of all the power line trucks just fucking lined up on the highway. Just like it looked like it looked like the fucking empire. Just they're all just lined up and there was the storm clouds and it's like, no, we're we're ready to go. And again, those are the things you need to put out there. And the reason why they're falling back to hitting to hitting him on, well, you voted this way seven years ago or whatever, is because they know they can't really right now vote. Uh, they really can't push the thing that, you know, any destruction and death is because he's not on top of things. So at least that's what it looked like to me. So, Scott, thanks. Sorry if I skipped you there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump over to David, who I think is also in Florida. So I think this might have been David's first hurricane. Uh, we'll wrap up uh, with Pierce and Edward, but I'm going to try to wrap up at about 830. So go ahead, David. Uh, yeah, this is my first hurricane. Uh, I've lived there most of my life. My first hurricane. I thought you were in Michigan. Probably. Oh, no, no. I'm not from Michigan. I moved here for for about a year for school for school slash work okay uh to get some more you're right you're okay you're right you jogged my memory i've had a long week so sorry go ahead <laughs> um let me see so you're, you're like this I've, is my I've fifth hurricane from... motherfucker what are you talking about <laughs> i'm standing out I, in I, it right I, now i was talking to my father-in-law and i i couldn't even give him a number and i couldn't like i uh <laughs> i remember probably the worst hurricane Obviously, I had Hurricane Andrew, but I was probably about two years old at the time, and so I don't remember it, but hearing stories that my parents lost their house or their apartment uh, that they lived in at the time, and then, um, so they were homeless for quite a while, um, but I also, in 2017, as a as an adult, I had a, I, I can't remember the, the hurricane that it was, but I lost an apartment um just uh near the beach it was a nice apartment i had to go through the legal process eventually got my money back on it and uh everything was fine but it took a while but <laughs> but you know like uh fort myers beach i have fr i have a friend who's there um who was there uh evacuated took his family and he went to the other side of the state uh right where i right where i am and he he lost uh, quite a bit, so um, not too much. Like he'll be able to move back in there as soon as, as soon as he's able to get water, gas, and things clear up a little bit. But one thing, um, one thing that's been really impressive this week. Um, so I live in I live in like the Miami area. So pretty much the worst thing that's happened to me this week personally is my quarterback uh might be up <laughs> I, I was gonna go there if you didn't i'm like i thought you were gonna say well i got a little bit of rain i'm like well also your your quarterback got knocked into uh last century yes he apparently got knocked yeah. into the year 1415 based on the amount of fingers he was holding up yeah uh that was bad as soon as we get a good quarterback for the first time like since marino um he's gone so or at least you know, somewhat good quarterback. I I have a friend who calls him Tim, um, uh, the Brown Tim Tebow because <laughs> he's he's polarizing in the way he plays and he's also uh, Christian and everything like that, like uh, like Tim Tebow. Um, but <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, anyway, I've noticed something with the media coverage. They're starting to flip over to, um, oh, DeSantis is a small government Republican. Uh, he's going to be accepting all the socialist money in the next coming weeks. And that's what the Florida media and what the national media is going to go with. And uh, just, yeah, I don't know how they could. I don't, I don't think, like, Team DeSantis really cares about that. They're just going to really, really just focused on helping people, helping people in the area and that, I can't remember I mean, that will di- that will disappear when the election happens which is what they're yeah. going to try to they're going to try to and Chris will probably use that and you know you, again it's good for retweets but if he comes out of it managing this stuff and then federal disaster aid which is entitled to any governor and in any state or whatever and uh, he he wins his election that that'll drop they're going to be like well that one didn't work and that'll be the end of it yeah. But yeah, Team DeSantis has been pretty great and luckily to live in this state with with uh, a good politician like him. But yeah, it, it just um just seems like he has a very uh unique skill um with that, but yeah. So I was really worried for the for the city of Tampa because if you ever been to Tampa, there's two things they have there's a lot of old buildings there and uh, it was going to be Katrina esque if uh, cat- if a uh, Category Four hit Tampa, um, yeah. But luckily, and it, it, was did, a- it did just kind of miss, like they changed track. They said it was on, it was going to miss Miami completely, and then it was going to hit Tampa, and then I guess the track changed even then. Um, so I, I I guess that was the good thing, but then of course it just completely wiped out the island communities. Uh, which, yeah. like Jacqueline said, is now where it's going to be. That, that's where you're going to start to see media focus go to. By the way, FYI, uh, not to get too morbid, but that's where they're going to. That's where going to go. And like I said, I think I'm the one that coined the term. You're going to start seeing the term "drown Santis" with a hashtag, and that's ultimately probably where they're they're going to go after this. Yeah, but yeah, I have nothing else to add. Just wanted to give a little personal experience and. Um... Hopefully my quarterback is okay. If you no, if you if you could realistically <laughs> trade for one quarterback right now in the NFL, realistically, um, because wait till you find out how many concussions Teddy Bridgewater's had. You're not going to like that. Um, who who would you and, who would you who would you want to go after and get traded to, to help buoy the Dolphins season? Let's say two is let's say two is done for six weeks. Just he needs to get his melon right. He's gonna he's gonna have to. Uh, learn what a circle is again or whatever, uh, relearn his name, um, whatever. So if there was who, if there's a quarterback out there that you think you could realistically trade for, it can be a starter or it can be a backup, who would you want them to go after? Well, for six weeks, if you told me six weeks, two is out, um, I think the way that the, the schedule is managed uh, for the Dolphins it's a very easy schedule. You got a couple of games in there with the Jets. You could come out Jets, uh, Jets, Vikings, Bears, Lions. Uh, there's not really. We should be favored uh, in gambling markets for I, about December. You forget it. I'm a I'm a Denver Broncos guy. I saw how Teddy Bridgewater played for all last season. It's not good. Yeah. So, so I'm telling you, if you you have to go out and you have to trade for someone. Who who is it and why isn't it Gardner Minshew? Gardner Minshew for 
Trey, where is he at now? He's in uh, Philly. He's the backup in Philly. He's America's quarterback, and he should be starting somewhere. So <laughs> I'm just saying, like, who who would you want them to go get? Uh, if you would, Garner Mitchell would probably probably somebody I could think. That's uh, the that that is the correct from, answer, David. But I think they could manage the schedule with uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because they, they, they can't get the so they, they can't go get Garoppolo now because he has a no trade for the end of the year. Um, I told I told him to just go get Russell Wilson, <laughs> and then the Broncos <laughs> can use one of those four draft picks they'll get for Russell Wilson. They can go get Gardner Minshew, and I'll be happy. I'll be perfectly happy. That's how I want. That's how I want the season to unfold. So, uh, David, good luck. Good luck to your Dolphins. They've been exciting to watch. It's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, but yeah. It, it looks like your quarterback's head is mashed potatoes now. So yeah. I, I guess we'll see how that goes and who's going to lose their job over it. <laughs> um, but uh, so good luck with that. And uh, ho- hopefully they do the right thing and go get America's quarterback and Gardner. So glad, glad the hurricane worked out for you at least. And uh, you, you, all my Florida people are anticlimactic. It's like, they're like, no, nah, my, my power flickered a little. That's all. But uh, it's good to hear from you, but it's good that you're safe, David. So I'm going to move on to Gardner. We'll go uh, Pierce, and we'll go Edward. Um, go ahead, Pierce. Did I skip you last time, or did I did I cut you last time, or, or did I thought we ended with you? Uh, yeah, I think you ended with me. I've, okay, uh, I've just I've had a I've just had a shit long week, so it's a good thing I didn't <laughs> bump you up then. Yeah. Um, hey, just want to report in uh, from Mesa. Did not get hit by the hurricane. Uh, everything totally fine over here. God, what is uh, it with you people? Still a desert, still landlocked. We still have John Gabriel, so <laughs> two out of three. No hurricanes in Arizona. No. So that's uh, good. You guys yeah. are fucking tornadoes out there. So so the funniest thing is, so the first time I actually, so I did a podcast with Gabriel for, God, four or five years. Yeah. And I had I flew out to Phoenix for my uncle's funeral. And uh I was like, I am going to be in Phoenix. So should we, do you want to just go get a drink or maybe let's even do a podcast. And so I was staying, I was staying at a, not like a resort, but the hotel, it was a hotel, but the hotel were like cabins. They were little adobes, whatever, uh, adobos or whatever you want to call them. And so he shows up and we have a drink at the bar and then we go and we sit out and we're doing the podcast and I have shit hitting my face in the dark. So we're sitting out there and I have, we have the laptop screen and he has his little dinky microphone that I told him to get rid of forever and ever. Like, dude, come on, get a professional mic. And we're sitting out on this patio and I just have like things hitting me in the face, either the glow of the screen. And when I say things hitting me in the face, I'm not talking like little moths and mosquitoes here, like things yeah. physically like brushing by my head that that leave a shadow on the laptop. Uh, and I think you even hear it on the podcast. You'd have to go back and find it, but I think you even hear it. Like, I'm just like ducking shit. Like they're, they're like womp rats attached to the millennium Falcon. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just like, I don't need to fucking be out in the desert anymore. I don't need to do this. Well, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like Gabriel's in a pretty, pretty more remote part. Uh, maybe further out East, uh, East to uh, or something. That just sounds like, weird kind of ranch ranch of ranchero style uh living i don't know it, it was an, it was a nice hotel they had a golf course and stuff so i mean huh. it was nice and it was on points so it was great 
but uh, I was out here recording this podcast with him and it just, it felt like I was getting hit with like a, a ball, like a miniature mad ball or something sure. every five minutes. And I'm just like, what the fuck is that? And I start, I'm shining my phone light around in the dark. Yeah. Thinking that I'm going to get like, you know, talons dug into my shoulders and lifted off into the air like the Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, more rural but parts are going to do that. The city proper, uh, you're not going to find that kind of crap. You'll find CVS pharmacies. <laughs> like, so. Yeah. You guys don't have you guys don't have hurricanes, but you do have like vampires floating around out there. It's good for their skin. Do you see the odd bat hanging around? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, I've just got three quick points. Number one, uh, I'm no longer keeping a a place set at the table for that guy, Elijah. He's always a no show. It's now Jackie for me. Okay. And uh, number two, I haven't heard the recent podcasting coming up. I wasn't sure if you had her address my question regarding with regards to uh ai uh producing art did you look at look at that at all uh, not, I'll I, the question I up here. It, and it's one of those things that i i, I have and i was going to say for like a total ama goof off day oh okay um I, I just i don't really know i'm it feels like it, it feels again like almost like an nft thing where um I, I've I've looked into it and I've seen a lot of like this really good AI generated art where it's just incredible. Um, they just now it's video like Meta is releasing video where you put in a thing that you want and they're now releasing video of like a bear painting itself portrait. Yeah, and it's it feels like one of these things that is so new that it could either go incredibly well or like most things with the internet will probably be turned into another living nightmare um, that will be abused. And, you know, AI art is great until you like are imagining, you know, a current day, show me video of a current day Hitler marching with the Reich, you know, and now oh, yeah. we have to ban that shit. Right. Um, or like the, the most, you know, show me Winnie the Pooh in an Adolf Hitler outfit saluting uh, Marilyn Monroe or, or some weird sh- like, you're asking people who come up with the most fucked up thoughts on earth to now generate video and art. And when I saw the video stuff, I'm like, they're going to be making films here in the next three or four years that are completely AI generated. You're not going to have directors, not going to have actors. You might have voiceovers, but they're going to be completely AI generated strictly because people were sitting around going, what about a movie? (laughs) You know, what about a movie of a talking dog who goes to Vegas and that's AI will generate an entire fucking film right there. And so that's going to lead nowhere good, Uh (laughs) in my opinion. That's going to lead to very, very bad places. Now, does that mean you stop that from happening? And I generally say no. I've always believed the Internet is kind of a big open sandbox and should remain that way. Um, because it really is a reflection about who we are. And usually the internet is a reflection of the worst of us. Um, but I also don't believe that you should get rid of the worst of us. I don't believe you should ban the worst of us. I don't, um, but you know, there was, there was an interesting thing back in the day, like when, for instance, second life was created, which was kind of the first like meta world where you create an avatar and you can go talk to other people and it was a huge deal. Like the office made fun of it. 
And, you know, there, you had this thing that was like promoted as this is going to advance civilization. Ron Paul supposedly had a campaign office in this thing and whatever. Uh-huh. And then people just went in. There was the Wired article about they were doing live interviews and trolls would go in and drop like giant dildos. on Yeah. That's funny to me. Like, I'm totally <laughs> fine with that kind of thing. Um, but that really kind of feels like where meta art is going to go. And in Silicon Valley, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg, who developed this stuff, are, are for the most part, you know, hopeful, autistic people where they're just kind of like, there's no way this could be used for evil. There's no uh-huh. way this kind of stuff could be used for bad. Like Mark uh-huh. Zuckerberg genuinely believes that he's creating something that will bring people together when for the most part, people shouldn't be brought together. Okay. <laughs> Social media has pretty much demonstrated that like you can connect with old people from high school and it's like, no, we don't ah, want to fucking do that. Right. You know, no, I don't want to No, Are you And there's people that do there's people that don't. I mean, take me for example. I mean, I have quarter of a million Twitter followers and I have 26 people on my Facebook. <laughs> like oh. I don't, I do not open that up to people. I'm like, nope, this is mine. I, I don't even really use it that much. Although Facebook marketplace is awesome. Um, but you're looking at, you're looking at a new form of technology that's going to go places to, and I'm at the point where I'm just about borderline old and grumpy and crotchety to where I don't even want to fucking have to think about it. Um, TikTok is where I got off the bus social media wise. I'm just like, I don't understand this. I don't understand what's going on here. Meta, I'm completely off the bus. I'm like, no, you will not jack me into a simulation at all. I don't give a shit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm the goggles. Do this. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, this, you know, the dolly art, the, the doll art and the AI art was fun on Twitter. Where you could just come up, you just plug in an idea, anything you can fucking think of. And AI generates it and it's sloppy and it looks terrifying. Like Brian Stelter looks like a demon, although he is. Um, (laughs) And that technology is going to get to the point where it's going to look like a photograph. And this brings in all types of questions about, you know, AI generated faces. And we know they can already do that. Um, And now you're seeing video like meta is literally all you have to do is like type in, uh, King Arthur's Knights in the drive-thru at McDonald's. And it'll come up with that and you'll see them like clomping through the fucking McDonald's drive-thru line. And so you, where that goes is interesting. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's, it's going to go nowhere good. But again, I don't necessarily think that that's up to us. But you're asking people to like throw out their darkest demon thoughts or the most fucked up things they can think of. I mean, it's like Ray Stance and the Marshmallow Man come to life and say, hey, it just popped in there, yeah. you know, and now you have a movie. Um, and so it's it's going to be it's going to be crazy and wild and it's going to be abused and it's going to go nowhere good. And like Facebook, like everything else Zuckerberg has developed, we're all going to fucking regret it in probably 10 years. All right. That's that's pretty good. And then my my last point. So your old coworker Charles C. W. Cook uh, now has his own podcast. Yeah. Um, what are the odds of you uh, either collaborating or just making an appearance? Uh, I haven't talked to him about it. I I I talk I talk to Charlie a lot, uh, just mainly on stories, and you know I'll send him things that I think he misses about the you know, constitutionality, and then he'll you know he'll send me things about culture and stuff like that. Um. But I, that's not something I ever – I don't ask people to be on their podcast. I just right. – I, I don't because I don't want people ask, asking to come on mine um, is essentially what that boils down to. 
Um, and there's people that I would love to talk, like whatever. I asked Ben Dominic if he saw Blonde, for example, yeah. And I'm like, I'm curious to hear your take on that because we did do Batman v Superman podcasts. And this is like this kind of format here on, on Colin. I'd love to pick his brain about that film and because um, it, it's a fascinating nightmarish mess. Speaking of AI generated shit. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if he invited me, yeah, I'd be happy to go on uh, his podcast. I also realized... I'm a little bit of a lightning rod and I'm not very well liked by a lot of people that like Charles. And if he's trying to expand his audience, uh, uh, I'm generally someone who's probably not going to be on that podcast. I um, but I, I don't hold that on him or anything like that. That's not something that I ever, I don't hold against people. I don't really get into personal things. Like I said last week, I talked about that last week. Um, so I guess I look at, I'll listen to it. Um, I like that he's going into some culture stuff. He, he talked to baseball crank about Aaron judge, um, and some stuff like that, which is to me, that's more important. It's more important to, to have a perspective on a lot of these issues. Like people kind of, you know, I got some weird comments about talking about Coolio and, and, but then on the other hand, I don't give a shit about Lizzo and her flute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do, I don't, I didn't like, I didn't like that spectacle but I'm not going to lose my shit over it because I know that that's the reason why they fucking did it. They're hoping you lose your shit over it as a conservative commentator. And it's, it's just such, it was so much bait. It was just bait. Yeah. That's all it was. And I, I'm trying to pride myself on not taking bait. Um, and so, yeah, if he asked me to be on it, I'd love to be on it. Uh, I, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really turn down things when people are like, Hey, would you come on and do this? But I also realize I'm a pretty blunt, instrument and and i know i'm not popular in certain circles that you know people who are trying to grow a podcast might be popular in um and so no i don't take it personally it, it should that not happen but maybe i mean if he invites me on i'd love to go on it uh, i'm interested to see how he does solo and it's kind of like when i started this when i started versus media i mean we're coming up on three years uh, i think i started it like roughly around mid-october of three years ago 2018 i think and it's terrifying. Like when I, when I had to tell John Gabriel, like, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm going to just go branch out on my own. I told him, I told him I'm the only one that talks during the conservatarians anyway. So whatever. <laughs> um, but it's, it is always good to have someone there to bounce things off of and, and whatever. And, and I do think partnership podcasts are a little bit more interesting for listeners. Um, I, I still don't think I'm very good at doing a solo thing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it without having Williamson to bounce things off of. But it does kind of feel like that relationship kind of ran its course politically, which is unfortunate because I don't think any relationship should run its course over politics. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how he does it, how he does with it. Um, the, the joke about his artwork is I just said, you're just trying to make, you're like trying to invoke the Beatles but you're trying to hide how British you are with like the American flag and the headphones and all the Americana stuff. He is um, such an American file. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, he is. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the best things about him is he, he genuinely loves this country. And he, he you know, he, he's a guy who, you know, can go off and admire the architecture of roller coasters, which, you yeah. know, we talked about it. We're like roller coasters are a unique American phenomenon. They're created here and we invented them so long ago. And they're, this kind of thing like Coney Island and parks and stuff like that. And so it's always interesting to see someone who's doesn't come from this culture, appreciate certain things that we don't really, we just kind of take for granted with it. So yeah. um, I, I am interested to see what he does with it. Yeah. If he invited me on great, uh, but I'm not someone who I expect to be invited on things. I just kind of do my own thing. And 
uh, if people want more of it, great. And if they don't, I, I usually gen generally understand until they make it personal, uh, like some websites have done. But that's just generally how I, I, I approach things. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen. Have a good weekend. All right, Pierce. It's good to hear from you. Uh, we'll wrap up with Edward. So, Edward, it's our Friday night. We're basically right here at the end. So bring us home. Don't disappoint us. Right on. Hey, Stephen. Hey, uh, first of all, just want to say that uh, a little bit of a humble brag there are not being good on a solo uh, uh, podcaster. You're doing a great job, and I think everybody appreciates that. But uh, uh, on, on the uh, wonderful theme of uh, uh, tonight, what do you think about the uh, the Nord Stream situation? We, ha we have multiple uh, explosions under the sea, <laughs> multiple pipelines blowing up, possible World War III. What do you think? Who's, who's responsible for this, and what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I am sitting back enjoying all of the takes, and that's pretty much my only opinion on it. Um, <laughs> the Nord Stream thing is is a perfect social media uh, convergence of of everything that everybody just thinks to confirm their priors, and those are generally things that I just generally like to sit back and enjoy. Uh, I don't I don't have an opinion on it other than it clearly is something that was sabotaged. We don't. Don't really know who did it, but man, it's fun listening to some of the theories, which I think most of them are actually pretty plausible. Um, when things like this happen, and if you view, and if you look at my Twitter account, if I'm ignoring it, it's not because I'm ignoring it uh, because I I think one way or the other. I'm usually ignoring things like this on the lines of enjoying the warmth of the flames, as I've always said. That's kind of my personal governing philosophy at this moment. It has been since 2016. Um, I, I did see Tucker's monologue over it and I, and I thought it was great. Like as, as a piece of cable news fodder, I thought that this was pretty great. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I could kind of see that. Uh, and then of course there's other things where it was sabotaged and we don't know if it was a Greenpeace or Russia or Ukraine or Greta Thunberg. <laughs> uh, so generally when things like this happen, where no answer will satisfy anyone because it's a perfect, it is a perfect real conspiracy. Okay. Um, I, I was laughing at tweets where someone was like, can someone Photoshop Ray Epps in scuba gear for me? And it's things like that. I just, I sit back and I just laugh at, and I, 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 I enjoy the warmth of the flames because I'm, I think the consequences are so dire to where I almost don't face them because we went, we went strictly from like Ukraine is winning to world war three in three days. And I'm seeing people doing takes of people like Michael Tracy from all the way to, you know, people who have a lot of stuff invested in this that I just don't have invested. Um, so as far as like the Nord Stream thing, and I'll tell you, like, this is where I am with the Ukraine wars as, as, about where I stand on it, because people people notice I don't weigh in a lot on it, and I'll tell you why. Is uh, I am ninety nine percent in support of Ukraine. I hope they fucking beat Russia. I hope they beat them back, and I hope this all ends in that kind of way where Putin just decides to tuck his tail, and that's the end of it. Hey, we tried. Um, but what I will say is is that I do not trust a single fucking piece of information coming out of Ukraine from our media or my government. And that just has 
years and years of being around this kind of stuff. I, I don't even retweet video footage. That's how just like gun shy I am about all of this stuff. I just do not trust our media because our media has an angle and they're invested in it. Um, I don't trust my government. I don't trust any information coming out. Now, there's people I talk with. There's people I text with and there's people uh, in media and names you guys would probably recognize whom I do trust and I do believe and I do uh, talk to them. And they're very aware of my stance on this kind of stuff. Um, I, I've, I've taken two published stances and one was that this was the first social media war where you have nation states conducting intelligence and warfare on social media. And Zelensky understands the power of social media and media in general. He's very much like Donald Trump in that way. And I got huge blowback out of a pretty anodyne opinion where they, this Syria because and you, because it's brown people and it's racist. And I said, well, no, that was not a that was not a war that took place on social media. That was you people uploading clips of genocide and things of Assad. And to me, that's different than how a war, an actual, the first war is playing out on social media, much like the Gulf War was the first war that played out on cable news and cable media. And so I, I write about things that are fascinating to me in that aspect. And then the second thing I wrote is how photo ops with Zelensky became like a celebrity du jour thing. Ben Stiller did it. And then Jessica Chastain did it. And then Angelina Jolie did it. And it became this kind of weird safari where, you know, I can go get my photo with Zelensky and I'll have that on my mantle and I'll feel important and I'll look important. And that's not so much on Zelensky. If I'm Zelensky, I'm doing everything I can to keep this in the news. And that's part of it. If I can get a photo next to Brad Pitt, you know, promoting his movie, <laughs> then that's a good thing. Uh, so it wasn't on him. It was just on this idea that celebrities were just like flying into Ukraine in the middle of this fucking war that we're told is ravaging the entire country. And like Ben Stiller's just walking into the presidential palace, like nothing's happening. And Zelensky's there in his green army shirt and stuff like that, which is all fine. But I, I just found it interesting that this became a photo op for the rich and famous. Like this became just the thing to do now. Um, and so I do have observations on Ukraine and Russia. Um, I, I just don't. I, and it's not to say that it's not happening, for instance. Like when I, I, I see footage from Ukraine and, and I see footage online from accounts that I follow. Um, but I'm also someone that's very mindful about what I put out into the world and nothing fucking pisses me off more than if I find something interesting and I put, and I retweet it like a video and it's like, oh, that turned out not to be true. I'm probably not going to retweet that person ever again. And so I saw, I didn't do this. I kind of made jokes about, and this is why I make jokes and I make memes about stuff like, like the ghost of key, for example, like you had Adam Kinzinger and Congress people falling for this. And I'm kind of like, what's the source? Like what? And if you do that, if you question that on social media, you, you get declared you're a traitor. You you want Ukraine to lose, and you should believe in the ghost. Of, and then it turns out that it never fucking happened. Like it was it was taken from a CGI video game or something. And that's the shit where I just go, this is why I don't tweet about this topic. Um, so I look at the thing with Nord Stream, and this is very much similar to this, where. I kind of just sit back and ingest everything and I, I just laugh. I'm just, I, I, I find, I try to find the humor in something that is such a perfect conspiratorial incident that happened. 
Like there's just fucking bubbles coming up into the ocean. And it's like, who did that? Where's the submarine? Was it a nuclear submarine? Was it Red October? Who, what's going on here? <laughs> and so I'm reading tweets about it. I'm reading takes about it. You're probably never going to fucking learn about who did it. That's the other good thing about it is people, this is something that's just going to go on and on and on. And this is just another thing that's like been thrown into the lore of Twitter and social media. And so I, I listen to theories. I laugh at them. I mainly laugh at the jokes. There's a great meme. Uh, somebody took a photo of Greta Thunberg being underwater and they photoshopped uh, a pipe in the background with a dynamite stick on it or a, like a plastic explosives on it. And I just started cracking up. I think I even sent that to my editors at, uh, at Spectator. And Spectator did a fun piece about who who's really behind this. And they did Greta Thunberg with glowing eyes. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's it's a good window into my own personal psych and how I and how I choose to use my platform. Um, like I said, I hope Vladimir Putin is resoundingly defeated. I'm also the guy that points out that in 2012, when we could have elected a guy who understood this threat, he was he was laughed at by the same people today who are warning about World War Three. And those people can all get fucked as far as I'm concerned. And so that is the point of view that I take. It's yes. We warned you, you had a choice in 2012, and instead you guys all jumped on the bandwagon about how fucking funny it was. Well, here you are, and now apparently we're at nuclear war, I guess. I don't know. And if that happens, so be it. We warned you, you guys all turned and laughed. So I do not take the same people today warning about the grave threat of Vladimir Putin and the possibility that uh, he drops a nuclear weapon somewhere in Ukraine uh, you were the same people laughing at Mitt Romney uh, 10 years ago over this stuff. Yeah, the uh, the 1980s called and they asked for their foreign policy back. How did that go? Yeah, right? there we are. But, there uh, we are. And here we are. And they somehow, anytime you bring that up with them, they just turn their head because they know. They all fucking know what they did. Um, one of my favorite headlines was uh, Blake Houndshell, who went on to be editor of Politico. He's writing for foreign policy, and it's still there. You can still go view it. It was Sarah Palin warns uh, if Obama if Obama is elected, he will invade. Putin will invade Ukraine, and they all laughed at her over that. And this is one of my favorite things that should just be fucking framed and put on a wall, and they should be made to remember this and how they just laughed at this and laughed at it and laughed at it. And then of course Mitt Romney, and they all just shook it off. They all just shook off the threat. And then Obama's reelected and Putin invades Crimea. He blows a passenger jet out of the sky while uh, while Prezi in chief was out on the golf course. And it was all fun and games until it wasn't anymore. And now here you guys all are. You're, we're all I'm looking at Twitter trends right now and I see hashtag World War Three. <laughs> and I'm just I just shrug. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I tried to stop this like back in my day with my minimal influence. You were the guys that laughed off this threat, and, and here we are. And I guess I also look at it and I say, what are you going to do about it? Noah Rothman had a great thing where, you know, Putin today declaring parts of Crimea, uh, parts of Ukraine annexed as now Russian uh, sovereign, parts of Russian sovereignty. And this violates international law. And Noah Rothman just went, how are we going to enforce international law? Should we go arrest him? What are we going to do? And that's the thing. No one's going to do a fucking thing about any of this. And that's the problem is you don't have you want Vladimir Putin gone and you want, you know, whatever. 
but you don't have the wherewithal to actually walk in there and unseat him and arrest him and put him in front of the Hague. And so I'm not saying that that's what should happen, but I'm saying all this bloviation over this shit, and we know you're probably, you don't have the stomach for the act for what should actually have to happen in order to get rid of him. And so, uh, again, we'll be sitting here 10 years saying we shouldn't have gotten rid of Putin because someone worse replaced him and all of this stuff. Um, so, again, I shrug my shoulders and I'm like, you know what? You guys made a definitive choice 10 years ago. You could have had someone that took this threat serious, could have mitigated the threat, could have handled the threat. You didn't. And now here we are. And uh, maybe it's apathy or maybe it's just a, again, enjoy the warmth and the flames. Um, but as someone is, who's on the side of trying to prevent this 10 years ago, I honestly am not that interested in it now. And like I said, I, I, I'm rooting for Ukraine. I hope Putin's defeated, resoundly defeated. Um, but I also just don't believe anything coming out of my media and coming out of my government over it. Thanks, Stephen. We're on the same page. Best of luck. Uh, great. So I, I had a couple people jump in. Uh, I'm, I ended with Edward. So uh, sorry, Rest and sorry, Rainy. I'm going to wrap this up here because uh, I've been going almost two hours. Um, what I will say is that I will be back here probably tomorrow to do the, uh, the afternoon call-ins, just call them brunches for assholes. So feel free to join in there. And uh, it's not a glitch, by the way. I am physically removing people from the queue. Um, so I did see your avatar. Rhett had a good one. Rainia. Uh, if you guys want to jump back in, jump in, back in tomorrow, should I host? If not, I should probably be back here Monday. And uh, I'll make sure to get you guys up front and center. So generally, if I leave, do leave callers, I do make it a priority to get you guys uh, first for the next episode. So again, uh, feel free to follow, follow Versus Media Live, because uh, I'll send out a notice maybe tomorrow morning. If I don't send one out, yeah you'll probably get an idea that I decided to take the day off, but um, I'm going to try to jump in tomorrow and uh, just do another one of these general topics unless, you know, World War III breaks out tonight. Um, so thanks, everyone. Thanks to callers. It's, I'm glad. I, I know I kid, but I'm glad to hear all my Florida peoples are safe. It's it's not great to listen to when you're like, eh, the light flickered a bit, but we're okay. Uh, but I am genuinely glad you guys are safe down there. And the worst is I have a niece that's at Charleston for college, so she's going through her first one now that Ian has hit South Carolina. So that's fun for her. Um, so again, I'm glad you guys are safe. Thanks to my callers. Thanks again for you guys uh, joining in. As I said, you you guys by your numbers keep uh, Versus Media Live on calling up as like I think the number two show behind Brian Joy Gray. And also I noticed that she was coming on at the same time I was. So uh, we'll see how the numbers track for that. Not that I really pay attention, but um, this has been episode 47. Where's Jackie? Ah, where is she? Stand up, Chuck. Um, from our president who's decided to start talking to dead people. And I guess we'll see how long that lasts. So again, thank you to guys. Uh, I'll be back on Patreon on Tuesday, which obviously we have a new month tomorrow. So again, I wanted to say thank you for your support over there. Uh, for any of my subscribers who are listening here. Um, as I, I always wrap up the podcast, like I don't have sponsors, I don't have anything. I'm completely subscriber dependent, which always makes these things fun. 
Um, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants here. I can't do edits. This is all live, obviously. And so, but again, thank you for your support over on Versus Media and your continued support. And like I said, the more subscribers I have over there and the longer I have you, uh, I kind of just am fine keeping it that way. So again, thanks for your support. I will see you guys next month over there and perhaps, maybe, probably, eh, who knows, back here tomorrow. And so, like I said, Rat and Rainia, sorry to cut you guys off. Uh, feel free to jump in tomorrow and I'll make sure you guys are top of the line. This is Versus Media Live. I'm Stephen L. Miller. Um, and uh, this is episode 47. Where's Jackie? Uh, go enjoy your weekends, everyone. And uh, I'll perhaps see you back here tomorrow. Cheers.